Hello and welcome back to another episode of the China Path podcast. This is James Scullin from the Australia-China Business Council. Now, on this episode, we begin an exciting new series where we get back to the basics of doing business with China for companies looking to gain market entry into China's complex, competitive, but potentially lucrative market. Thanks to funding from Austrade, over the next year we'll be speaking with experts on the fundamentals of market access to China, as well as the latest developments in intellectual property, branding, customs compliance, digital marketing, new retail, Chinese consumer needs, government grants, and much more. To start our new series on this episode, we have the first of three episodes on market access essentials with China branding expert Matthew McKenzie. This episode covers what businesses need to know before entering the market, from whether your product is desired in China, how to appropriately price your product, how to protect your brand, where to seek assistance in China, and what you need to know about seeking out suitable Chinese partners. Matthew McKenzie has over 20 years' experience working in China with iconic Australian brands such as Tim Tam, Wheat Bix, and Morning Fresh. In 2014, he co-founded the Export Group, which he led in China until earlier this year, before relocating back to Hong Kong. He's now General Manager Marketing Asia for Bright Food Asia, that have offices across China, Hong Kong, and Macau, and represent some of the largest global FMCG brands in the market, including Wrigley Mars, Ferrero Rocher, and Kettle Chips. Matthew looks at opportunities to partner with businesses that have a solid point of difference and are willing to take a long-term view on the China market sustainably. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I'm here with Matthew McKenzie from Bright Foods Asia.、Uh, this is the beginning of a three-part series on the China Path podcast, focusing on market entry strategies for businesses that are yet to have a deep exposure of the China market. So, on this first episode, we're going to be talking about what a business needs to consider before entering the market. So, Matt, if we can just start with a general question: Why China? Are there are there still opportunities for SME exporters who don't have a presence in the market, or do you think, as some say, that the market's become too saturated and it's too difficult to do business in China? Well, thank, thanks for having me, James.、Um, why China? Well, I think I think it's a pretty simple, really a simple a simple equation. I mean, if you look at the size and scale of the marketplace, a lot of、uh, a lot of companies have been able to saturate. You know, some of the the first tier cities. You、mm. know, when you start looking in Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and Shenzhen. Uh, you're seeing a very busy marketplace. You're seeing a lot of competition from around from around the world. When you start going and delving a little bit deeper, and if we just take Eastern China and you look at that sort of、uh, radius around Eastern China, where you've got Nanjing, Suzhou, Hangzhou, you know, a range of a range of those second tier cities, and, and really edging onto the edge of first tier、mm. um, citydom,、mm. um, you know, there are still there are still significant opportunities. So the way that I look at it is there are Probably three or four waves of growth still to be still to be had in China,、okay. um, and that's just due to the size and scale of the the population and 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 also the geography of the country. I mean, it's, it's a huge it's a huge country. To add to that, if you look at the、um, the level of digitisation、mm. in the marketplace, and once brands have a digital presence, that presence can can reach across the country very quickly. Okay.、Um, now again, it's a very it's a very busy market. It's very Um, can be a very expensive market to play in, but if you're able to cut through in that digital space, you can become, you know, you open yourself up to opportunities across across the country. So,、right. for me, is the market too saturated? No, not yet. 
Um, are there opportunities? Absolutely, there are, yes. Is it even right to look at China as one market? Should you just be looking at Beijing as a market or Sichuan is your market yep. or the western coast of China is your market? Like, like, what's the best way to kind of construct the way that you frame the markets within China? Sure. Uh, look, in very simple terms, we talk about, in, 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 in my experience in China, I've spoken about north, south, east and west. Mm. Um, that eastern China is really dominated around the, around the sort of radius around Shanghai. When you go up north, we're sort of talking Beijing, Tianjin and, you know, some of the cities up, up around there. The wild west, as we like to call it, um, as you look geographically, we're not talking the far western reaches of China. We're really talking really that centre piece of China where you've got you know, Chongqing, Wuhan... Uh, and those areas, and then and then down south around Guangdong mm. and you know, Guangxi province, etc. It's really depending on the type of product that you have. So mm. if you look at southern China, uh, take Guangdong province as an example, you've got a subtropical climate. Um, you know, it's hot for a very extended period of the year. So if you if you're selling a, a beverage product, uh, that's probably a good place to start mm. um, because people are, are consuming those in. in greater quantity um, than, than other parts of the country which might get very cold at different times of year. Conversely, if, you, if you're selling something that, um, that that suits that colder climate, you're probably better off looking up, up further north. So I think that you really need to have a look at the type of product that you, you're trying to enter the market with mm. um, and then have a look at the, I guess, the, 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 the cultural norms and behaviours of the market within that region uh, and also the, the weather Mm. in that region as well will help determine. Now, I know you've got great experience of working with those third tier and and, and fourth tier cities, and and that's something that we're looking to discuss on episode two of this mini-series. But, Matt, if we can just go back to before a company even enters the China market, does that company and does that product need to be successful domestically in Australia before before having a crack at the China market? Well, ideally, ideally it would be. Um, and the reason I say that is that there are a lot of products coming into the market from all over the world. Uh, and so the Chinese consumer and I guess Chinese distributors as well are really um, blessed with great choice mm. now because everybody wants to do business with China and the emerging opportunity. So those, those companies and brands that have a pre-existing story and, and success in their home market, well, that's a very big tick at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the process. Having said that, it's not 100% necessary, but it is helpful. So for those companies that have got a track record of success, have got a track record of strong history, you know, sometimes uh, smaller family-owned businesses, multi-generational businesses, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of great story to be had there. There's a lot of great credibility to be, to be um, taken from that. And I would, I would encourage any, any brand or business to, to embrace embrace their position in the domestic market. Mm. It's an advantage, but it's not an absolute mandatory. It's important for a product to have a, a, a particular story to sell in China. And, and naturally, that story is going to be about the provenance of the product yep. and, and, and its history in Australia. And that's something that Chinese consumers really want to learn about with a lot of Australian products. Isn't that right? Oh, look, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, I've sat in on a number of um, research panels in China over the years. And particularly when you're talking about categories such as mother and baby, where it's a highly emotive category. Mothers absolutely want the best for their children, particularly on the one-child policy where they only, mm. they only have one sort of bundle of joy to, to care for. And obviously that policy has been loosened up somewhat in the last few years. But one of the things that they're really looking for is, is I want to have the same as mothers have in Australia. Okay. You yeah. know, I want to have access to that. This is our time. China is becoming more economically successful. My family works hard. I, I deserve to have the same level of quality 
um, as, as mothers do have access to in Australia. So in that instance, it's going to be quite helpful, yeah. yeah. So thinking about those Chinese consumers, what's, what's the best way for uh, an Australian company to uh, gauge uh, potential interest uh, that a Chinese consumer may have in their product. How, how can a company conduct research to see if a product is, is going to be viable to the Chinese market? Look, I think there, there are multiple ways to do that. Um, firstly, there's, there's onshore and there's offshore. So let's talk about offshore. So offshore in this case is, is, is selling the product in Australia. So whether it be through the Daigo stores, whether it be through duty-free, whether it be uh, selling through chains that, that have a, a strong... Um, influence of Asian consumers and getting feedback from from that. Mm. So I think that's 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 one that's one methodology. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's generally a cheaper and easier methodology for uh, for, for brands. Method two is to actually onshore it uh, and 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 take the product up to China. And again, there are various ways of doing that. Whether it be attending trade shows, uh, attending trade delegations, I think is also very good. Going and, and meeting with a range of, of importers, distributors, retailers, talking to platforms um, that, that sell the product. I think also looking at you know taking a trip up to China and, mm. and taking a look at what else is available in market. Any any of the major cities, it's quite easy to find. Uh, stores that are ranging, stocking um, international and imported brands. Mm. Furthermore, you can check on on the online platforms and see what see what's selling and actually have a look at what is, is ranking top in each of the categories. So I think there are various ways of accessing sort of anecdotal data on that. Mm. The the other thing that you may wish to consider would be to have a chat to the team at, at the likes of Austrade, where I know that they do have access to certain amounts of data, etc. So certainly um, explore that avenue as well. Mm. Um, and so what about competition then? How do, you, how do you get a grasp of what kind of competition is, I guess, not only up against your product but mm. also up against the particular price point of your product? So if you take wine as an example, mm. if you're exporting wine to China at $6 a bottle, you're competing with other countries that are also selling wine at that price range. How do you get a good understanding of just how wide the market is and what other countries are offering and what are the price points? Well, again, I think that that you know part of exploring the market will will sort of start to tease some of those some of those issues out for, for brand owners. Mm. Um, I would also be speaking in, in the case of wine, for example, I'd be speaking to industry associations. Okay, um, yeah. I know Wine Australia has a presence on the ground in China. Um, the, the the various state governments have have people on the ground in China. So, I there are a lot of resources that that various governments and associations have, have put into into China. Yeah. Um, and I would encourage SMEs to really explore explore all of those avenues and um, and make as many friends as possible in, in that space. Yeah. Um, in the case of wine, I would also be looking at, you know, what's what's happening globally. So, we're seeing a lot of the younger wines now coming in from places like Chile. Um, there were a fair few wines coming in from South Africa, um, mm. also California. Now, I'm not quite sure under the current um, trade strains between the United States and China. I'm not sure, quite sure where that's up to from a tariff perspective. Yeah. Um, but there's certainly a lot of those newer world wines coming into the marketplace. So, again, going back to the earlier point, for wineries, I'd be really, you know, you've really got to understand your position in market. You've got to hold firm on your price um, and you really need to, Talk about the provenance of, of your brand, not just the clean green, you know, environment you know, from which the, the the wines are produced, but yeah. you know, talking about the provenance of of yeah, maybe be a third generation winery, and you know, there's there's a really interesting story behind that, and and consumers really warm to that, and online platforms really warm to that. So yeah, I'd I'd be really considering those uh, those factors. Mm. 
Okay. Um, and so, what about what about the Australia factor of a product? Is would you say the the Australianness of a of a product that's on a shelf in China is is its strongest advantage when competing against other brands? And do you think that the the Australianness of a product is something that should be front and center of of a brand promoting their their clean and green image and their provenance? Look, I definitely think being from Australia is something that should be embraced. Um, is it the is it the be all and end all? N- not really. Mm, okay. um, and the reason I say that is, you know, ten years ago possibly it was. But now there's a lot of countries that have put a lot of effort, um, a lot of trade associations have put a lot of effort, and a lot of companies have, have really developed some great brands and, and great and created some great marketing strategies for China and executing on those quite well. Right. You know, you are competing against the world. When you go to China, you're competing against the world. You're on the world stage. Yeah, um, and, and there must be other countries that promote clean and green in a similar way, right? Well, 100%. And if you think about places like, you know, South America... Uh, Central America, yeah. um, Canada's done a brilliant job. Uh, you know, the European Union's done done a great job at, at sort of promoting the, the clean green environment. Mm. Um, and so, I think I think to be honest, you really need to be talking about the, the quality of your product, the differentiation of your product, what's unique about your product. Why should consumers be paying a premium for your product over over somebody else's? Um, and the other thing which which really resonates in China is and across Asia really is brand. Mm. Once you've been able to sort of become a brand, mm. um, then that story almost becomes untouchable. So you really need to think about how you're going to build that brand on the ground in China. And, you know, they're, they're, you've, you've got to have a digital presence. Right. You've got to tell your story. You've got to tell your story in Chinese. Mm. If you've got a presence and a, and a success story, in you know, successful trading history in Australia, you've got to embrace that and communicate that. Um, you've got to talk about the, the attributes of your product. Mm. Um, and, you know, what I find with... with a lot of Australian companies is by default that their um, people are quite humble. That humility is not something that which is going to help you sell your product. Sure, you need to be you need to be out there talking about what's good about your product over somebody else's. So, yep. going back to the original question, the Australia factor is, is is there, but it's not it's not front center anymore. Mm. Would you say the Chinese consumer makes their decision on what brand to buy before going into a brick-and-mortar retailer store? Or do you think that there's a consideration when they're looking at a shelf and they're comparing an Australian product against an American product or, or two Australian products against each other? Well, where does the decision-making happen with the Chinese consumer? Is it, is it different to an Australian consumer? Well, look, I, th- I think it is slightly different. I think it's because the markets are at different, uh, different stages of evolution. Mm. Um, so... It's not uncommon to see people go into a into a into a store in in China, uh, and almost on a trip of discovery. Mm. You know, they're they're sort of looking around, discovering new things. Uh, they'll be researching online. They'll be um, finding out information about different products and yeah. brands online whilst they're going through the shopping experience. Right. Um, so, does a does a person walk into a store and say, "I'm going to buy a bottle of red wine made by X Y Z company"? Mm. In some cases, yes, mm. but in many cases, no. So mm. I think that there's a lot of opportunity at that point of purchase or in that in that store to, um, you know, to really grab the consumer. And a lot of a lot of work that I've done over the years in China um, has really been, you know, in in the process of building brands has really been in having in-store sampling. You know, the old school in-store sampling, mm. in-store information, grabbing people's QR code, you know, giving a QR code before they get a sample of, of a product. 
Uh, and Chinese consumers, like Australian consumers, love to get a freebie. Mm. Uh, so they're willing to join WeChat groups, et cetera, for, for a free sample of something. Yep. And then all of a sudden you've got a database of, of consumers after doing that a few times. Plus you get feedback from consumers mm. at, at going through that process. So it's really, um, you know, I think there are a range of methods to, to get your product to stick out. But people do not typically walk into store and say, this is exactly what I'm going to buy. I think they're going with more of an open mind than in Australia. Mm, okay. So let's say a, a, a company hasn't really um, penetrated the market at all in China yep. and they're looking to you know, maybe go over to on a trade show or they're looking to um, sell their product through a Daigo or sell their product through an online platform. Yep. What, what are the legal essentials that that company and, and product need to consider before entering the market in, in any form? Well, look, I think first and foremost, you want to protect your IP. Mm. Um, and IP in this instance is typically your brand name. Yep. Um, and you, you definitely want to have your brand name trademarked in both English, definitely in English. Mm. Um, and then if you come up with Chinese characters for that, you want to do whatever you can to get that trademarked as well. And the, the Chinese trademarking system is a little bit different to Australia. They have a first-to-file system. So if, if somebody shows up at a trade show and they see your brand and they, they think, oh, this has got potential in China, they then, con- they, they then go through the registration process and start the process before you do. Yeah. They have legal priority over your um, trademark, even though you've created this brand overseas. Yeah, yeah. So I would strongly encourage anybody that's thinking about going into China to get their brand registered and trademark before they before they do that. And I would encourage you to, again, through trade associations or people on the ground in China, yeah. um, probably tap into legal firms on the ground. The system up there, again, is, is quite different. There are subclasses and categories, so you've got to make sure that you're registered under the correct subclass. Um, the process takes roughly six to 12 months to, to go from um, filing to, to, to final um, approval. However, because it's a first-to-file system, if you've got that file in, you, you, you are pretty well protected. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing I would say is that a lot of people are quite cynical that I've spoken to about the China, Chinese legal system. Mm. One of the biggest changes I've noticed in the last 10 years in China has been how robust the IP protection system has become. Yeah. Uh, the Chinese government has, has really put a lot of effort into this. Uh, I've been involved in a number of cases, uh, both winning and losing. Mm. Uh, and in all, in, and I've got to say, in 100% of cases, whether we've won the case or lost the case, uh, I think the right decision was made by the courts. Right. It's very, very important that people protect their IP and don't end up having to pay a squatter or yeah. somebody else for their brand name. Well, well, it's a system that the Chinese government want to be robust. Absolutely. In, and, and they want to ensure protection. And I think a lot of companies that don't have a lot of experience of the market feel like it's a the, the IP system is set up as a ruse for Western companies and that's just not true. It's that's just not a, true. It's it just may a have been true that's that possi- developing. It possibly may have been true in the past. Right. I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not sure. But I can absolutely tell you now categorically that the system is set up for fairness mm. uh, for both Chinese and foreign companies uh, equally. Yep. So I would strongly encourage people to embrace it and protect their IP before going into yep. market. And and if you're working with, you know, credible firms on the ground in China, it's really not a hugely expensive process to get yourself trademarked. Right. Okay. All right, um, Matt. So lastly, um, for a business that doesn't have a lot of experience of the China market, 
How important is, is finding that local partner in the first stages? Do you think a business should, should not rush to sign a contract with a local partner? And do you think that there's a period of time that an exporter can do it by themselves to see what the market is offering them? Or do you feel like a Chinese partner is really essential and this is something that you should try and sign up as, as soon as you can? Look, I think partner selection is probably one of the most important processes you're going to go through in the evolution of building a business in, in, in or into China. Um, and so what I would always say is that it's better to take a, a longer it's better to take longer to find the right partner mm. than to find the wrong partner quickly right so what I would suggest is is sort of as you as you said James looking at, even at a quite a simple export model in the first phase and try to get some sales and get some runs on the board but during that process you know be having a, a pretty robust process in terms of looking for partners looking for people on the ground that you see that can support your business and I think that um, one of the most important things is to find people and, and businesses that align with your business culture. Mm. And by that I mean if you're selling a premium product, um, that you're not looking to sell a million units, you're looking to sell a thousand units over a year, um, you've got to look for a partner that actually understands, the, that, that understands why you're charging a premium price, understands the market that you're going after and is actually selling into that market, understands the distribution channels um, and understands how challenging it is to build a brand in China, yeah. but they've done it before, mm. so they've they, they sort of come along with a, a lot of a lot of positive traits. So I believe that in the first phase, it is feasible to do it without a local partner. Yeah. But in time, as the business grows and becomes more significant, uh, it will be important to have you know local representation on the ground. Mm. Excellent. Okay. Well, Matt, there are definitely some really valuable insights into what a business needs to think about before entering the market. On the next episode, we'll talk about how to launch and where to launch your product in China. Um, so we look forward to speaking to you again, Matt. Thank you, James. It's been a pleasure. My thanks to Matthew for sharing his experience, tips and insights. For more on our podcast, please drop by to the podcast homepage at acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts where you can find show notes and all our previous episodes. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and help us to continue to grow our listenership. Thanks also to Austrade for their support of this exciting new series of the podcast. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and until next time, 再见.